From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Monday, August 28th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese and American commerce ministers have met in Beijing, agreeing to maintain communication over trade issues. Russian authorities say they have confirmed the death of the Wagner Group leader through DNA testing. And esports athletes are ready for the event's debut at the Hangzhou Asian Games. In business, China's cut a duty on stock transactions in half. In sports, the Chinese women have set a golden record at the Badminton World Championships. In culture and entertainment, Barbie almost reclaims the top spot at the North American box office. Now the day's top stories. China and the United States have agreed to maintain communication over trade issues. Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao has met with his U.S. counterpart, Jeanette Raimondo, in Beijing. Raimondo is the fourth senior U.S. official to visit China in recent months. Zheng Chunying has more. Minister Wang said that China is willing to work with the U.S. side to foster a more favorable policy environment for cooperation between the two countries' businesses uh, and to bolster bilateral trade and investment in a stable manner and to inject a stronger impetus to the world economic recovery. And that willingness to cooperate was also echoed by uh, Raimondo, who sent out the Biden administration's message that uh, recent curbs by the United States on American investment uh, in Chinese companies is narrowly focused and is not meant to decouple from China, uh, pointing out that the vast majority of the two countries' trade investment relationship is not actually involved in what they claimed national security concerns. Just as what Raimondo said about the trip, uh, the United States wants to have a stable commercial relationship and the course to that is regular communication. So though it's uncertain, it's still uncertain whether uh, Raimondo's visit this time will result in any significant change in China-U.S. ties, yet it's still widely believed that her visit will continue the messaging that both sides 
are willing to talk and seek more common grounds. That was Zheng Chuning on talks to keep China-U.S. trade running. A survey over the weekend shows that the approval rating for Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has dropped to 26 percent. Experts attribute the continuous decline partly to Japan's release of nuclear-contaminated water into the ocean. Protesters continue to voice their opposition and demand the government to stop the discharge. Terence Terashima has more from Tokyo. There have been a number of protests since the discharge of the wastewater from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, including... Uh, on the day of the release, uh, protesters say the discharge of the contaminated wastewater into the ocean will cause serious damages to the environment, maritime life, and to the glo- global food security. The protesters say they will continue to voice their concerns until the government stops the discharge and find other means. We won't forgive the Japanese government for breaching its commitment to us citizens. I think the discharge of nuclear contaminated water is not only a betrayal of its people, but also a betrayal of the international community. So I firmly oppose it. They only test the content of tritium, but other radioactive substances are also being discharged into the sea. We feel very uneasy about this. We firmly oppose the discharge of nuclear-contaminated water into the sea. We want it to stop immediately. The ocean does not only belong to Japan, so I think it's unreasonable for the Japanese government to discharge the nuclear-contaminated water. Mostly it's due to uh, the, uh, the handling of the troubled new My Number ID card system. But uh, it is too early to say whether this 2% uh, is uh, due to the due to the contaminated water, but experts say approval rating may drop further if Kishida mishandled the impact from the wastewater discharge. That was Terence Teroshima on reactions from Japan over the release of nuclear wastewater. The decision by the Japanese government to discharge the nuclear-contaminated wastewater in the ocean is also drawing criticism from Southeast Asian countries. Environmental activist Cecilia Alvarez from the Philippines says Japan should realize how delicate and sensitive the issue is. The evidence has been the sickness that befell people in Fukushima. What about the poor people just living by the coastline or even those depending on food from the waters whose health, even death, is threatened. So please, Japan, listen to the cry of the people. Former editor-in-chief Chung Tian Song of Nanyang Siang Pao in Singapore describes the action by Japan as irresponsible and selfish. United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea giving every country this obligation to protect and preserve for marine environment. Therefore, Japan government did not properly handle this issue and did not follow the international law, but insists of taking action to discharge its nuclear wastewater. This kind of irresponsible action has a negative impact on the stability and rationality of the international legal system. Japan started dumping nuclear-contaminated water from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the sea on Thursday, even though there had been strong opposition and criticism domestically and abroad. Coming up, Russian authorities say they have confirmed the death of the leader of the Wagner Group. 
dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Seven minutes past the hour. Russian authorities have officially confirmed the death of Wagner Group chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. Uh, they identified all 10 victims of last week's plane crash using DNA testing. They say the remains match the names on the passenger list. Alyosa Malenkovich has more. We passed uh, roughly around four days uh, from that uh, deadly plane crash. According to the records back then, it was 10 people who were on board. Two of them were the most important leaders or persons, people within the organization, uh, private military company Wagner. One is Evgeny Prigozhin, another one is Dmitry Utkin. Of course, uh, people are still wondering here how a plane like that can fall from the sky like that. Uh, It is from uh, something what we can hear that the cause has to be something from the outside. Only thing what we have seen is that the video which was shared, the video of a plane crash, when we saw a, an aircraft falling from the sky, uh, like a, almost like a leaf, one of its wings were missing, its tail section was missing. Uh, in that video recording, we were hearing that the engines were still running. So there is still some time that we, are awa- we need to await for the official investigation to give us some preliminary results why this air crash actually happened. That was Alios Malenkovich with the investigation into the plane crash that killed the Wagner chief. A senior Ukrainian official says a second vessel has departed using a temporary Black Sea corridor since Russia withdrew from a grain deal last month. The ship, carrying steel products, is traveling from Odessa to Africa. Kiev announced the humanitarian corridor earlier this month with hopes to release cargo ships that are stuck in their ports. But many doubt the initiative can be successful without Moscow's approval. Mihail Bardavid spoke with experts in shipping companies. On August 18th, the first vessel to use Ukraine's unilaterally announced humanitarian corridor arrived safely in Turkey's Bosphorus Strait. This was exactly one month after the landmark grain deal failed. On July 17th, the Black Sea Grain Initiative collapsed when Moscow announced it suspended its participation in the agreement. The deal had been brokered by Turkey and the United Nations between Russia and Ukraine last year and had allowed the safe exports of grain from Ukrainian Black Sea ports. Russia had insisted that its interests had not been taken into account during the implementation of the Grain Initiative. Some analysts stress that allowing Ukraine's unilateral corridor to succeed is not favorable for Moscow. The problem for Russia is that it's had the backing of so many Western countries, so including the U.S. and the EU and, and all of the, those other Western blocs. So that if it accepts it, certainly if it accepts it explicitly, it's like it's bowing to something that's been formulated in the West, whereas the grain deal was formulated really by the UN with help from from Turkey. Political analysts point out safety risks that are causing concerns for insurance companies. We know that there are mines around the ports of the Black Sea and that some of those mines have broken loose. It only take one of those or another raid like we had on August the 13th for the insurers simply to say we won't insure the ship. And when they say that, 
then it, the corridor is dead if they say that. Meanwhile, for the dozens of merchant ships stuck in Ukrainian ports since February of 2022, the economic impact is significant. The impact of these situations on companies encompasses the entire value of the vessel if it is unable to return to navigation, along with the losses endured during the period of non-operation. If the vessel does resume navigation, this encompasses the cost of maintenance necessary for its re-entry into service and the losses experienced during the non-operational period. Nevertheless, Ukraine and Turkey's foreign ministers also agreed that export solutions other than the Black Sea grain deal are less optimal, as they announced it during a joint news conference in Kyiv on Friday. Though no date has been announced, the Kremlin confirmed that an upcoming meeting between Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin is anticipated. The grain deal will likely be a topic of discussion alongside other matters if the meeting occurs. That was Mihail Bardavid in uh, Istanbul. The vice president of the Central American Parliament, or Parlisen, says uh, including China as a permanent observer will promote the development of the region. Engels' Martin Pineda says the inclusion is in line with the global trend towards a multipolar world. This really strengthens not only the integration system, that is to say, it strengthens the Central American Parliament and allows us a much broader scope of relations, as some fellow deputies put it. Parliament truly moves into one of the major leagues with the incorporation of a world power as a part, and, as in this case, an integral observer of our integration body. Parliament's uh, six-nation parliament grouping Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, and the Dominican Republic. It serves as the political institution and parliamentary body of the Central American integration system. The parliament approved China as a permanent observer while revoking that same position from the Taiwan region on August 21st. Law enforcement in Jacksonville, Florida, says the white gunman who shot and killed three black people at a store died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say the 21-year-old bought the guns legally and it was a racist attack. Critics are blaming Florida's lack of gun regulation. Nathan King has more. Another week, another mass shooting here in the United States. According to statistics, we're up over 470 for 2023 right now. But this attack, uh, again, more and more associated, like we see with these mass shootings, with white supremacy. Authorities are in no doubt that this government was targeting people of color. The Clay County Sheriff's Office, who has been assisting our agency with this investigation, received information after the shooting that the shooter had authored several manifestos. Portions of these manifestos detailed the shooter's disgusting ideology of hate. Plainly put, this shooting was racially motivated, and he hated black people. Now, Jacksonville, Florida, in a very important state, uh, controversial state, uh, Ron DeSantis, of course, uh, the governor running for president, called the shooter a scumbag, said it was racially motivated, and there's no room for that. There's lots of political back and forth already because of the lax gun control laws in Florida, but also what political opponents of the governor uh, see as some ra racially tinged uh, legislation. There is a real fear in communities of colour and also across the nation uh, that despite these killings going on and on and on, there is a lack of action, the state and federal level, when it comes to America's unique problem of gun violence. 
And that was Nathan King reporting. West African regional bloc ECOWAS says it's still hopeful that diplomatic efforts to resolve the Niger coup will yield uh, positive results. The group has maintained its desire to see constitutional order restored in the country. Uh, Kalechi and McCallum reports from Abuja, Nigeria. Omar Touré, the president of ECOWAS, has emphasized the regional body's commitment to see democracy restored in Niger. Despite weeks of speculation that it might deploy its standby force against the military rulers in Niamey, ECOWAS says it's prioritizing diplomacy and will only use force as a last option. We are hopeful that these diplomatic efforts will yield the desired outcome and make it unnecessary for the deployment of the force. Nonetheless, preparations continue towards making the force ready for deployment. After activating its standby force, ECOWAS has faced increasing speculation about when and if it will intervene militarily against the hunter. This anticipation has grown following the regional bloc's rejection of the hunter's recent proposal to remain in power for a transition period of three years. In the weeks following the coup, ECOWAS issued a seven-day ultimatum to the hunter, which was not heeded. Since then, the organization has engaged in a series of diplomatic activities to restore peace in Niger. Despite economic and financial sanctions, peace negotiations and threats of force, Niger's military remains steadfast in its position. Experts believe the mobilization of military force is unlikely. It is not in anybody's interest, certainly not in the interest of any African country in this block. So they don't have a choice. Now, the, the, the junta have said they're giving it three years. All ECOWAS can now do is to negotiate a shorter timeline. ECOWAS enjoys the backing of the African Union and many others in its effort to restore democratic rule in Niger. With the country landlocked and under sanctions, international relations experts have weighed in on the potential impact. People in Niger will continue to suffer. And while they suffer, it will degenerate into a humanitarian problem. And when there's a humanitarian problem, the people are not going to wait around in Niger. They will start to march. They will leave Niamey and they're coming to northern Nigeria. They're going to other countries in the region. We're going to have a huge number of people who will be displaced. Meanwhile, in response to rising tensions over military interventions, Niger's military rulers demanded the French, German, Nigerian and U.S. envoys leave the country within 48 hours. This move adds to the deteriorating relations between the new regime in Niamey, Western powers and ECOWAS, with Nigeria holding the ECOWAS chairmanship. But despite the challenges, ECOWAS remains steadfast in its commitment to using military intervention as a last resort. And that was Kalechi and McCallum on efforts by ECOWAS to resolve the crisis in Niger following a coup. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the debut of esports at the Hangzhou Asian Games. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. 
Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Nineteen minutes past the hour. Uh, the World Health Organization's warning of a new COVID-19 strain. Officials say several countries, including the U.S. and Denmark, have reported cases of BA.286. Hospitalizations are, are, are already on the rise in the United States. Jen Sullivan spoke with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You may want to dust off those masks and keep them close by. That's because COVID-19 hospitalizations are on the rise. We're at this inflection point. Numbers have been going up. Mm -hmm. Weather's going to get cooler and drier. They're probably going to go up a little bit more. CDC data shows COVID-19 hospitalizations have been increasing since early July. But over five weeks, those numbers have nearly doubled to 13,000 new admissions. Earlier this year, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention stopped counting new COVID case numbers and instead relied on hospitalization numbers. That's why some health experts are now recommending people in high-risk categories mask up. There is some good news, though. Most of the country is considered low risk. The CDC recommends masking for those at higher risk, especially if you're elderly or immunocompromised. Health officials also recommend testing before seeing someone who is high risk. And wear a mask indoors if you're with someone who has a greater risk of catching the virus. I recently visited my parents, for example, in Florida. I wore a mask. I tested ahead of time. Try and keep them safe. If you're experiencing COVID-19 symptoms or have been exposed, it's important to test twice. Sometimes people get that first test, think they're in the clear. That may not be the case. And if you do test positive, the CDC recommends staying home for at least five days because that's likely when you're most contagious. And that was Jen Sullivan reporting. In Asia, esports first gained popularity in South Korea before gradually spreading to other countries like China, Japan, Vietnam, and Thailand. It's making its debut at the Asian Games in Hangzhou next month. In recent years, the Chinese esports industry has experienced rapid growth. Liu Jiaheng takes a look. In China, esports are no longer just a hobby, but a legitimate profession. The country is now the largest esports market in the world, with millions of fans and players. Cheng Meng has been a professional player for over five years. He says when he first decided to pursue his career path in the esports industry, there was some resistance. My family, my friends, and even my school teachers didn't think this was going to be a promising field to step into, but I decided to prove them wrong through my actions. Also, as the esports industry in China becomes more regulated, Chinese teams and players are gaining recognition on the world stage. Now, esports has been included in the Hangzhou Asian Games. We are seeing a shift in people's perceptions. Many professional esports players have gained celebrity status, opening doors to lucrative sponsorships and endorsement deals. The great opportunity has attracted more and more young people to get into the field. It's also led to the establishment of esports academies and training centers where young players can hone their skills. Cheng Meng was under a youth training scheme before competing in national tournaments. He says the youth training period can be tough for many reserves. We train for at least 12 hours a day, but a lot of the players will stay longer at the training center to practice. The training program often leads to the elimination of players. 
as they are tested by both professional skills and mental stability. Since we compete as a team, good communication is important too. China's youth training scheme is rigorous, and many young players struggle to pass it. Esports were featured at the 2018 Asian Games as a demonstration sport. At the Hangzhou Games this year, esports will be making a full-fledged debut as an official medal sport. The China Hangzhou Esports Center is where all the esports events are going to take place. A worker at the venue, surnamed Chen, says esports are gaining in popularity. Many esports events like League of Legends, FIFA Online 4, or Dota are really popular among Chinese gamers. Many people are eager to see a showdown between the Chinese and South Korean teams as they are considered among the best and have always been fierce rivals to each other. Chen also says a huge amount of people are hoping to enjoy the games in person, and the demand for tickets exceeds the supply. But getting a ticket is more than just a matter of money. Many of my friends have been asking me how to buy tickets. They are really hoping to be able to come to Hangzhou and watch the games in person. To get a ticket, you have to register on the official website and hope you get chosen in a random drawing. Everyone is really excited and looking forward to the games. Although Cheng Meng, the professional player, isn't participating in this year's Asian Games, he's closely following many events like League of Legends, the most popular. Watching League of Legends always fills my heart with a sense of unity. Last year, our Chinese teams didn't make it far at the World Series. I'm hoping China can do better at the Asian Games. The esports event of Hangzhou Asian Games will be held from September 24th to October 2nd. There will be eight medal events in esports and two demonstration events in robotics and VR. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Jiaheng. Tourism market in China has registered a strong rebound this summer. Data shows ticket bookings for domestic scenic spots tripled that of the same period of 2019 before the COVID-19 outbreak. A county in Guizhou is taking steps in response to the growing number of summer holiday makers. Libua County has been receiving over 110,000 visitors daily since the beginning of summer vacation. Over 80 homestays have opened in the ancient town to cater to the growing demand. Deputy Director Qin Xiaokeng of Libua County Culture and Tourism Bureau says they hired a third-party team to plan and develop the local homestays. We have worked out an overall training program for excellent housekeepers, ensuring that the quality and services of our boutique and economical homestays in the entire county meet the needs of visitors at different consumption levels. Libua County, with a population of over 180,000, is reputed for its beautiful sceneries and year-round mild climate. The country has received a record 7.4 million tourists during the summer vacation travel rush this year. Travel agencies across China are also seeing a surge in registration for outbound travel during the National Day holiday, with prices also rising significantly. General Manager Wu Yongbing of a flagship store of Jinjiang Travel in Shanghai uh, says they've adjusted their tourist routes to help reduce the overall prices for customers. Transportation fees such as airfares, pickup service fees and hotel prices all went up a lot. So we offer some routes that will avoid the travel rush. 
We advise our customers to depart in advance or travel during the middle or second half of the National Day holiday to enjoy a discount in the prices. Many travel agencies in Shanghai have seen their tourist lines fully booked. Popular domestic destinations include Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu and Changsha. A Scottish tourism centre says they've been blown away by the international attention that their hunt for the Loch Ness monsters created. Uh, mystery hunters have started a converging on a Scottish lake to look for signs of the mythical monster. Loch Ness Centre General Manager Paul Nixon says uh, the activity has created a media frenzy. What is this thing we've, we know is the Loch Ness monster? Um, so we've reached out to uh, a global audience of volunteers Uh, But also we're going to be uh, using some new technology this weekend. Uh, We've got hydrophones going in uh, down to a depth of about 60 feet underwater microphones, and they've been yielding some quite interesting results. Lee adds they're using science during the search to try and explain some of the mystery. Well, well, here at the Loch Ness Centre, we, we, we tell the story of Loch Ness. So we're not here to tell people that there's a big green monster swimming around. Um, we're here to uncover some of the truths and also where some of those myths and legends come from. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster is uh, located, uh, or Loch Ness Centre rather, is located at a former hotel where the modern day Nessie legend began. Manager Aldi McKay reported spotting a water beast in the loch in 19. 19- 33. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's at 19 degrees overnight. Tuesday, sunny and 29. Chongqing's down to 21 this evening. Then it's cloudy and 30 degrees. Last is at 12 overnight. Showers and 22 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 27 this evening. Then heavy rainfall and 31 degrees. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo, 26 overnight. A light rainfall and 33 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 23 tonight. Then a light rainfall and 34. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees. Moderate rainfall and 33 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rainfall and 25. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening. Then overcast and 22 on Tuesday. Auckland's 4 overnight, then a light rain in 13. Port Vila, a light rainfall in 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese and American commerce ministers have met in Beijing, agreeing to maintain communication over trade issues. Russian authorities say they've confirmed the death of the Wagner Group leader through DNA testing. And esports athletes are ready for the event's debut at the Hangzhou Asian Games next month. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, still to come. In business, China has cut a duty on stock transactions in half. In sports, Chinese women have set a golden record at the Badminton World Championships. In culture and entertainment, Barbie almost reclaims a top spot at the North American box office. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, check in the day's headlines. Here's Tian Yu. 
Thank you, Shane. The Commerce Chiefs of China and the United States have discussed trade issues. Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao has met U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo in Beijing. Raimondo is the fourth high-level U.S. official to visit China within the past few months. The Russian investigative committee has confirmed that Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was among the ten people killed in a plane crash near Moscow. The committee says they have confirmed the identities of all the victims based on the results from genetic tests. It says the victims correspond to the manifest of the flight. The plane en route from Moscow to Saint Petersburg crashed on Wednesday, killing all ten people on board. Authorities have not announced what they believe caused the aircraft to fall from the sky. Sudan's Rapid Support Forces says it is open to a long-term ceasefire with the army. The paramilitary group also presented an initiative that could revive efforts to hold direct talks with the army. Meanwhile, Sovereign Council Chairman Abdel Fattah Al-Burhan has made a rare public appearance in Port Sudan. Al-Burhan showed up for the first time outside the headquarters of the Sudanese Armed Forces General Command and the Ministry of Defense since the conflict broke out in April. Around 300 trucks of food and other materials from Burkina Faso have crossed into Niger, with many arriving in the capital. Niger Regional Customs Director Colonel Adamu Zaranaya says the trucks have been able to arrive safely thanks to the to the military escorts from the two armies. For a long time, no trucks have been able to arrive through the Burkina corridor. But with the security operations on this corridor done jointly by Burkina and Niger armies, we got this first convoy, and we hope for more in the days to come. The official says the military escorts are required because the route between Burkina Faso and Niger is infested with those who would destroy the trucks. The border between the two countries is the last open one since the economic community of West African states imposed sanctions on Niger following the military coup that ousted the country's president. The mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, says it requires everyone's efforts to combat hatred and violence in the community. Donna Deegan made the remarks at a church vigil near the site of a racially motivated shooting in the city in Florida. This is going to take all of us. It's going to take every single one of us. And I have to tell you that, as your mayor, I take personal responsibility for what happens in our city. It's too much. It's too often. We keep going down the same paths, over and over again. The shooting happened at a Dollar General store in Jacksonville on the weekend, leaving at least four people, including the shooter, dead. All three victims were African American. The gunman killed himself after launching the attack. Police say the attacker legally purchased his weapons, even though he had a Baker Act petition in 2017. The petition allows involuntary examinations of those believed to have mental illnesses that make them become dangerous. Three U.S. Marines are dead in a plane crash off the coast of northern Australia during a military exercise. Five others were injured and sent to hospital. About 2,500 personnel from Australia, the United States, the Philippines, Indonesia, and East Timor are participating in the exercises. Niche sports such as paragliding and parachuting are attracting more and more people across China. Many people have taken their children to a flying experience store in Beijing, where the children are able to fly up,、uh, fly up to 10 meters high.
My daughter has experienced it before. She likes it a lot and thinks it's quite exciting. I think having this experience will make her braver. Many cities have set up flying camps as public facilities for outdoor sports. A popular camp located in Nanjing combines air sports with ground activities. At the very beginning, I was a little bit worried and scared. But when we glided out, I was much more relaxed. I think it is totally worth a try. Zhou Yinghan with the Department of Economic Forecast at the State Information Center says such services will boost spending in the sports sector. The sports market is now expanding in scale, upgrading its structure and innovative business mode. In terms of scale, currently spending is about 1.5 trillion yuan. The figure is suspected to reach 2.8 trillion yuan in 2025. The China Air Transport Association is planning to set up over 20,000 flying camps to be used for air sports training and recreational flying services. Thank you very much. That was TNU reporting. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up, China has cut a duty on stock transactions in half. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment, in-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour. Turning to business news now. And uh, the Chinese markets close higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, slew of policies released to support the markets uh, led to an early surge for Chinese A shares with the Shanghai Composite uh, opening around 3,200 points. But a lot of those gains did taper off throughout the rest of the session and the benchmark index closed back below uh, 3,100. Uh, it did still gain 1.1% and the Shenzhen component rose 1%. Uh, the markets were responding to these as policies to support stock buying uh, rather than the uh, broader economy. For Taijunan Securities uh, added about about 6.8% and Citic Securities gained 1.5%. Real estate developers also got a boost. There were some new guidelines published for uh, planning and construction of more affordable housing in China. Uh, China Vanka stock uh, ended the day 4.5% higher, while poly developments gained at 2.7%. Uh, most sectors actually did enjoy gains. There was still a bit of a drag from foreign investors who uh, net sold 8 billion yuan uh, in shares via the Stock Connect link. Uh, that was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up around 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained over 1.7%. Financial experts say China's decision to have the stamp duty on stock transactions is expected to boost domestic capital market vitality and investor confidence. Uh, the Ministry of Finance and the State Taxation Administration earlier announced that the duty on securities transactions would be cut in half. Uh, Chief Strategy Analyst at Citic Securities, Qin Peijing, explains the benefits of the move uh, to the Chinese capital market. 
At present, countries including the United States, Japan, and Germany have all cancelled stamp duty in stock trading. The domestic stamp duty is relatively high and accounts for a large proportion of investors' transaction costs. The stamp duty reduction at this time will tangibly lower investors' transaction costs, helping invigorate the capital market in the short term and enhancing the international competitiveness of A-shares in the long term. The proportion of stamp duty on securities transactions in total tax revenue has been on a downward trend since 2020 and dropped to around 1.6% in 2022. Chinese financial authorities have announced that the minimum margin ratio of financing for purchasing securities will be lowered from 100% to 80%. The move will take effect after shares close at the beginning of next month. Uh, the bourses said that the adjustment is aimed at implementing the policies recently issued by the CSRC to invigorate the capital market and boost investor confidence. The CSRC noted that moderately lowering the minimum margin ratio will help uh, put available funds to good use. China's internet users totaled over 1 billion as of June, an increase of over 11 million since December, alongside steady growth in internet applications. Uh, China Internet Network Information Center says the country's internet penetration rate reached 76.4 percent. As of June, the number of users in instant messaging and short video applications had topped 1 billion. Official data shows that the decline in China's industrial profits narrowed for the fifth consecutive month in July, thanks to a recovery in industrial production. The data also points to the robustness of the country's supply and industrial chains. Uh, Zhang Shishuan has more from Shanghai. Industrial manufacturing can involve millions of small components and tools, linked closely with one another and all indispensable to the production line. So sustaining those supply chains is a big and vital task. The company in Shanghai now supplies some 7 million kinds of critical parts and tours, and is now offering digital services to make them all easier to manage. Since last year, the firm has seen a notable increase in demand for its products and services. Since 2022, due to changes in the global environment, companies have had to improve themselves. And the most direct way is to enhance their supply chain, involving purchasing, logistics and storage management, and they've been seeking digital solutions. Every day, we receive an increasing number of inquiries from small and medium-sized firms. Restricted by their small scale, they are usually weaker in dealing with risks. So they need higher quality supply chain management, which can help them optimize costs more. The company will be one of the 2,600 exhibitors at the China International Industry Fair this year. The exhibition, which will open in Shanghai next month, will see a racket-high number of exhibitors and in the size of its exhibition area. New trends like low-carbon and intelligent industries will be the highlights. Companies involved in the whole industrial chain will be attending. The fair not only has robot developers from home and abroad, it also features some key component suppliers. We have extended the exhibition content to the entire chain, so as to enhance the core capability of the industrial chain, as many companies are facing transformations and require core parts. They're also in urgent need of digital transformation to enhance efficiency. It's the first time since 2020 that Shanghai will be hosting the fair, and more than 500 new products or services are expected to debut.
The world's top four robot firms and hundreds of small and medium-sized enterprises will showcase their products and services, building further networks between industrial manufacturers and those they supply and which supply them. And that was Zhang Shuswan reporting from Shanghai. Official data shows that China's telecommunications industries logged a strong performance in the first seven months of this year, uh, with the emerging businesses and 5G services registering steady growth. Companies in the sector ranked in uh, com- or raked in combined revenue of over one trillion yuan, or over 140 billion U.S. dollars, and that was up 6.2 percent. China Telecom, China Mobile, and China Unicom saw their revenue for emerging businesses such as big data and cloud computing surge 19 percent to over 200 billion. Yuan. At the end of last month, the number of 5G mobile phone users in the country reached over 690 million, an increase of over 130 million from the end of last year. The tourism market in Shanghai has witnessed rapid growth in the first half of this year, surging in terms of traffic and revenue. Shanghai received more than 130 million domestic visitors, generating tourism revenue of over 150 billion yuan or 22 billion U.S. dollars. And according to data from China Union Pay, the tourism spending in Shanghai totaled over 480 billion yuan, a 77% increase. Shanghai hosted more than 22,000 commercial performances, drawing around 12 million people and achieving box office revenue of over 800. Than 30 million yuan. A study conducted by the China Tourism Academy suggests that Chinese tourists spent over three days on average during their visits to Southeast Asia. The research also highlighted their growing inclination towards engaging in local activities. Silkina Alawalia has more from Jakarta. Chinese tourists are topping the list of international visitors in Indonesia. This growing number is presenting economic opportunities for Indonesia, though experts say the potential is not yet being fully realized. Especially for some uh, top tourist destinations, uh, they provide uh, some positive contributions uh, to the local economy as well. But I think there is still room for improvement to to really ensure how uh, the arrival of Chinese tourists in Indonesia uh, contribute as well to large number of stakeholders in the local uh, communities. Lali Sang says traveling to other parts of Asia is now becoming a trend for Chinese tourists, whereas previously they would prefer the United States or European cities. Indonesia is an affordable country for them, and they visit to experience more than just the country's warm hospitality. Indonesia is home to some of the world's most beautiful natures, and experts say Chinese tourists come to the country for exactly that, to experience Indonesia's beautiful beaches, tropical forests, and mountains. Another popular spot in Jakarta is the city's famous Chinatown. Chinese tourists are curious. They visit Chinatown to see how Indonesians are blending authentic Chinese culture with a unique local touch like in the Pancoran Peak area. We have clear data that shows the majority of international tourists that come here are from China. We saw a massive increase during the Chinese New Year. There was a video that went viral on Weibo that shows celebrations for the Chinese Lunar New Year here and how it is so similar to China. After that, the tourists have been coming in in significant numbers. It's not just about sightseeing for the Chinese tourists. They are on a quest for authentic experiences, from learning about traditional cultures to diving deep into pristine waters. All of that has significant economic benefits for Indonesia. That was Silkina Alawalia reporting from Indonesia.
You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports. The Chinese women have set a golden record at the Badminton World Championships. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. Defending champions Cheng Qingqin and Jia Yifan of China won the women's doubles final at the Badminton World Championships this weekend. They also became the first women's pair to win four golds in the tournament's history. They claimed a straight game victory over Apriyani Rahayu and Siti Ramadanti of Indonesia. This result expands their head-to-head meetings record against the Indonesian duo to 5-1. The top seeds playing their fourth final in six appearances at the Worlds took 41 minutes to wrap up the victory 21-16-21-12. In football news, Darwin Nunez's late double completed a stunning comeback for Liverpool, who defeated Newcastle United 2-1 in the English Premier League. The Reds managed to overcome Virgil van Dijk's red card in what was a chaotic and controversial encounter. The Liverpool captain's red card came just minutes after Anthony Gordon punished an error from Trent Alexander-Arnold to put Newcastle ahead. Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp took note of how rare a result like this is. In my more than 1,000 games I coached or managed, whatever you want to say, I never had a game like this. That's the truth. Not that we never turned games, we did that, but uh, with 10 men in an atmosphere like this against an opponent like this. Uh, no, I, I don't... Not only that, I can't remember, I'm pretty sure it never happened, because these moments are rare. Elsewhere, defending champions Manchester City defeated Sheffield United 2-1, and Aston Villa claimed a 3-1 win against Burnley. Max Verstappen has won a rain-drenched Dutch Grand Prix to claim a record-equaling ninth consecutive Formula One victory. The Red Bull driver overcame huge downpours at both the start and towards the end of his home race. So today they didn't make it easy for us, I think, with the, with the weather to make all the time the right calls. Um, but yeah, incredibly proud. I mean, I already had goosebumps when they were playing the national anthem before the start. And, uh, you know, even with all the, the bad weather, the rain, the fans are still going at it. So an incredible atmosphere. He has now matched the record Sebastian Vettel set with the same team in 2013. Fernando Alonso took second for Aston Martin, while Pierre Gasly claimed his first podium for Alpine in third. Gasly's podium resulted from a penalty for Verstappen's Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez, who was demoted to fourth after receiving a penalty for speeding in the pit lane. In golf, Victor Hovland has claimed an impressive victory at the season-ending Tour Championship event, the FedEx Cup. The 25-year-old managed to come through a final round tussle with Zander Shoffley to secure the glory and an $18 million payday. It's been a great year, just kind of... I feel like I've taken a lot of steps this season, uh, contending in, in more major championships. I finally won in the U.S. I won a big tournament, Jack's event. Honestly, after that, I felt like I've, I've gotten so much better, and it was uh, very pleasing to see. And then, obviously, the last couple of weeks have just uh, superseded that. It's been, uh, it's been pretty surreal. 
Hovland took a six-shot lead into the final round at Eastlake and held at least a three-stroke advantage throughout the final day. Shawfleet definitely made the Norwegian work hard to register a sixth PGA Tour title and second in as many weeks. Hovland carded seven birdies in a bogey-free 63 to end the week on 27 under and become the third youngest FedEx Cup champion in history. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we take a look back at the third Asian Games in Tokyo. Here is Chiju with more. The 1958 Tokyo Games introduced the Tour Trailer, now a well-established aspect in the build-up to the Olympics and other big multi-sport events as a new tradition of the Asian Games. The relay started at the main venue for the previous Games in Manila before going for a journey across Japan. Triple jumper Mikio Oda, who had become Japan's first Olympic champion at Amsterdam in 1928, ignited the flame at the opening ceremony. Over 1,800 athletes from 20 countries and regions competed in 13 sports. Field hockey, table tennis, tennis and volleyball made their Asian Games debuts, with badminton and judo added as demonstration sports. Athletes broke three world records in swimming events at the Games. Japan, yet again, topped the medal table, winning 67 gold medals. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Xiju. Chase Ely has successfully defended her women's shot put crown at the World Athletics Championships. The American won her second successive gold medal, while China's Gong Li Jiao won a record eighth straight individual medal. Ely, who was competing with a new technique, produced her season-best throw at 20.43 meters in her fifth attempt. Canada's Sarah Mitten took the silver with 20.08. Gong, the 2017 and 2019 world champion, was competing at her ninth consecutive global championships. She clinched bronze after producing a throw of 19.69, pipping Portugal's Oriol Dogmo on a countback. In boxing, Alexander Usyk has defeated Daniel Dubois at the Tarzinski Arena in Warclaw, Poland, with a knockout victory in the ninth round. He retained the unified WBO, IBF and WBA heavyweight belts. Usyk won and defended those titles by defeating Anthony Joshua. Usyk had to weather immense pressure to win and pick himself up from the canvas after sustaining a shot the referee deemed was a low blow. Usyk has three of the four major heavyweight titles and he now wants to fight Tyson Fury for the WBC belt next. And finally, China claimed gold on the final day of the World Rhythmic Gymnastics Championships 2023 in Valencia. China's group scored 36.55 to claim the Hoops 5 title ahead of host Spain. Italy took bronze ahead of Brazil courtesy of a higher execution score with both teams posting 35.85. The Chinese did lead for most of the three ribbons two ball competition. However, Israel produced a spectacular performance at the end to finish a full two points clear of China on 34.8. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, Barbie almost reclaims the top spot at the North American box office. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 
12.54 past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Gran Turismo, based on the true story, and Barbie were in a dead heat for the box office crown in North America this past weekend, with the video game adaptation just etching out Barbie for the top spot. This is not a game. This is the most dangerous race in the world. Sony Pictures reported that Gran Turismo opened with 17.3 million US dollars, while Warner Brothers estimated that Barbie, in its sixth week of release, took in 17.1 million. With a domestic total of nearly 600 million in ticket sales, Barbie has passed the Super Mario Brothers movie to become this year's biggest domestic hit. Last week's top film DC Comics release, Blue Beetle, slid to third place in its second week with $12.8 million. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer trailed in fourth with $9 million in its sixth week. Embroidery of the Yi people in Yunnan province stands as one of the most ancient traditional handicrafts representing the rich culture of the ethnic group in southwestern China. Like many other old traditions, it was once in danger of being lost. Today, thanks to the efforts of local governments and dedicated craftsmen, this folk craft is experiencing a revival, Yang Jinhao reports. Ding Lanying runs an embroidery workshop in her hometown of Chuxiong, located in southwest China's Yunnan province. This region is home to a large ethnic Yi community. A veteran embroiderer, she learned the skills from her mother when she was just eight years old. Due to my family's financial constraints, my education was limited. At the age of 16, I started selling items I embroidered on the streets of my village. E-embroidery boasts a history of around 1,700 years. It plays an important role in the lives of local people and has been recognized as intangible culture heritage. Dean opened her workshop downtown 10 years ago, hoping to make a better living with this ancient craft. However, her ambition was soon met with disappointment. I couldn't even afford the house rent and the utility bills in the first year, as my items remained unsold. She experienced a turnaround when the country initiated its poverty alleviation campaign. With government support in terms of capital, marketing, and even product design, Ding gained more business opportunities and expanded her studio. Now, her studio employs around 350 local villagers, including about 100 with disabilities. Each of them receives a systematic training here. Without this job, I would have led a much more challenging life, as my physical condition doesn't permit me to engage in other activities. I feel very happy working here. After college graduation, Ding's daughter also joined the endeavor. She's working to infuse this old tradition with new ideas. I'm striving to increase the awareness of our embroidery among outsiders. My colleagues and I are using e-commerce live streaming to promote our products and culture. The Chuxiong government has been stepping up efforts to bolster the development of the embroidery industry. Now, there are a total of 57,000 embroiderers across the prefecture. As a custodian of this cultural heritage, Ding is confident in its growing popularity in the future. 
That was Yang Jinhao on the revival of E in Bright Ray in Yunnan Province. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. Uh, Beijing down to 19 degrees this evening. It'll be sunny in 29 on Tuesday. Chongqing's 21 overnight, then cloudy in 30. Lass is down to 12 degrees, then showers in 22. Hong Kong 27 tonight, heavy rainfall in 31 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's at 26 overnight, light rain and 33 degrees Celsius on Tuesday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese and American commerce ministers have met in Beijing, agreeing to maintain communication over trade issues. And esports athletes are ready for the event's debut at the Hangzhou Asian Games. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. 